Connection Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. I am going to change things up a little bit. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I usually talk about um, how to help the podcast at the tail end of the show and after the interview with the author. But today I'm going to mention it ahead of time because I'm thinking, Maybe you guys just turn it off at the end and never get to hear the ways that you can help historical fiction unpacked. So the first way is, please subscribe to the show if you have not. That's number one, because then you'll get it every week or whenever a new show releases, which is usually every week, but there's um, a little bit of a Christmas break coming up soon. And then number two, whatever podcatcher, whatever app you use to listen to your podcast, whatever's your favorite is fine, but see if there's a way to leave a review. Um, I use Apple Podcasts because I've um, bought into the whole Apple um, monopoly of things. I have a MacBook and an iPhone, and um, but a lot of people prefer Stitcher or other forms of listening to podcast. So whatever you use, see if there's a way to rate and review the podcast. And if you can rate and review it, that will help more lovers of historical fiction find the show. And a quick, quick note, if you'd like to take the next step and help keep the lights on here, then just go to patreon.com slash Allison Treat. That's Allison with one L. And check out the um, the different tiers and ways that you can help there and what see what perks we have available for different levels of support. One more note before I get to our interview, and that is just a reminder that you can join us on social media. There's a Facebook group, Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group, and there is a an Instagram account, Historical Fiction Unpacked. It's just at Historical Fiction Unpacked. You can all find links to all of those things in the show notes as usual. And now let me tell you about our guest today. Candace Sue Patterson studied at the Institute of Children's Literature and is an active member of American Christian Fiction Writers. She lives in Indiana with her husband and three sons in a restored farmhouse overtaken by books. When she's not tending to her chickens, watching her kids play sports, or helping children discover a love for reading as an elementary librarian, she's working on a new story. And in today's interview, we'll talk about her latest story, Saving Mrs. Roosevelt, which released yesterday, December 1st. So enjoy this conversation with Candace Sue Patterson. Candace, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, your latest novel, Saving Mrs. Roosevelt, is releasing December 1st. Can you tell me about this book? Yes. Um, Saving Mrs. Roosevelt is centered around the Spars, which is the first female-only division of the Coast Guard. Their role was to take over jobs on the home front to free up men uh, to go overseas and fight. Uh, their training was approximately six weeks, and they would be placed into jobs that ranged anywhere from clerical work to home defense, uh, even as far as running the Lauren Station, which used radio frequencies to communicate to the different ships. Interesting. So then the plot is centered around them, but but who is the protagonist? Can you tell me kind of what the the main conflict is? Yeah. So my main character, Shirley Davenport, um, she lives in Lubeck, Maine, 
and she assists her father in fishing and lobstering. But she has a strong desire to serve her country, like her four brothers who are overseas. So, um, but her options are limited because she's a female. And uh, her best friend, Joan Fisher, um, also has that same desire. So she shows her a flyer uh, advertising the Spars New Reserve. And um, Shirley's father is unhappy with that. But they go ahead and sign up anyway. And they're sent to separate training camps. And while training at Iowa State Teachers College, Shirley gets to know the handsome and brooding Captain Leonard Weber, who is assigned to mm-hmm. remain on the home front for reasons that I don't want to spoil for readers. Right. Um, but he is assigned um, to help train the spars, even though he's a naval captain. Um, they actually helped the Coast Guard start the spars. Um, But he was sent on a more dangerous mission later on in the book. And then uh, he and Shirley's paths cross again when they are assigned to help protect Eleanor Roosevelt. So interesting. Yeah, I I read the first chapter and I noticed right away that um, Shirley's father is not happy about her um, desire to help with the war effort other than just, you know, he wants her to stay on the home front and do what women typically did, I guess, mm-hmm. in, in world war two. Um, or maybe not typically. I mean, I think there was a wide spectrum of involvement with women during world war two. Mm-hmm. Um, now this, this book is part of a series by Barbara publishing called heroines of world war two. Mm-hmm. So a few weeks ago on the podcast, we had Liz Tolzma talking about her book a picture of hope, which is part of the same series, I think. What inspired mm-hmm. you to write this book? Was it an opportunity extended to you by Barber, or was it an idea that came to you completely on its own? How did that happen? Somehow, my agent found out about it, um, mm. and she contacted me and asked if I would be interested in uh, coming up with a proposal to to turn in to see if they would take it. I've never written a World War II story before, um, so it mm. was kind of intimidating. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I thought about it and prayed about it and, um, I thought, you know what, why not? You know, I love historicals. So, um, the, the issue was I had just finished a contemporary romance and I had researched the lobstering industry so intensively that I was afraid I would not be able to put that away in my mind in order to research something else to come up with a proposal. I had a real short amount of time to come up with a proposal and I got to thinking, is there any way I could take the research that's already in my head and somehow use that in a world war II story? Mm. And after talking it out with a few critique partners and my husband, uh, I ended up stumbling upon a way that I could couple lobstering with espionage. Wow. That is great. That's like work smarter, not harder, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a great idea. Um, and I love that because I, you know, even having just started the book, I still was thinking, oh, like, I don't think I've read another book set in Maine with like a lobstering, at least not a historical. So mm-hmm. that was really interesting. Yeah, and that part of the plot is completely fictional, but it was so mm-hmm. fun to to come up with and write. Yeah. It was really fun. That's cool. Um, so then 
you mentioned already that the plot is centered around the spars. Um, how did you learn about this first female only reserve and of the Coast Guard? And, and what can you tell us about them? Well, I came across them when I decided to try to make the research that I already knew work for a World War II story. I just started Googling World War II and Maine. Mm. And I came across the spars. They were real prevalent in Maine. And I thought, well, I've never heard of them before. So the more I researched, the more I realized there's not really any fiction story centered around them. So I thought I'm, I'm going to go with that and see, see what I can come up with. Um, they were a great group of ladies. The woman that was asked to direct them, her name was uh, Dorothy C. Stratton. She was the Dean of Women at Purdue, which is just a few hours mm. from my house. And wow. she was in charge of the waves, which was the Naval Women's Naval Reserve. And they asked her to take over the spars. Um, so I started diving into research on her life and just became fascinated with her. She was an amazing lady who could command and direct and be completely ladylike at the same time. And just some of the amazing things that they did, um, like I mentioned earlier, taking over the Lauren station, um, that was like top secret duties mm. that they took over. And it was just, it was just really fascinating to watch old videos on YouTube of interviews from the spars and to just see how their sacrifice really helped win the war along with the men fighting overseas. Right. Wow. That's cool. So she went from working at Purdue, which is in Indiana, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Um, out, out to Maine to head up this division? This um, she actually went to D.C. Um, okay. I don't have, I never found any record of Dorothy being in Maine. However, she was very uh, good friends with Margaret Chase Smith, who um, was governor's wife in Maine. And so... I, I found that interesting later on in my research. And I thought, well, that's kind of neat that there was a connection there, even though I didn't realize there was a connection. Right. So at the risk of sounding stupid, because I haven't read the whole book, obviously, um, when they decided to join the Coast Guard, was that something that was on the coast of Maine or was it on the whole coast or they went, they had to go to DC to train? Tell me exactly what would happen then. Um, there were different training areas. Um, okay. It sounds like, from what I could gather in the research, that they had people that would go around from town to town recruiting women. Mm -hmm. um, so the women would go to, to wherever they were recruiting at and sign up. They would have to go through extensive tests, such as uh, like they had to pass a health exam. Uh, they had to pass a written exam and some things like that just to figure out where, which training center they should go to because certain ones were geared toward different things. So like in Florida, their training center was geared for women that excelled in uh, math and science, where okay. in Iowa, some of their um, women were trained in other areas. So that, um, it, 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 their skills depended on where they went to training at. Um, okay. Dorothy kind of went back and forth between the different training camps. 
Um, but overall, the spars had to pass certain things before they were actually sworn into the spars. Okay. Interesting. Um, so tell me more about your research and writing process. You, you know, I know you um, had done all this research on the lobster industry in Maine and then used it and then you found out about the spars. Um, then how did you go about diving deeper into your research? I came across a great book um, and the name of it is escaping me. <laughs> <laughs> we can always, you can always let me know and I'll add it to the show notes okay. later. <laughs> um, but I came across a great book that was written um, for Purdue. It is part of their library that I was able to get a hold of that talked about all the different Dean of Women that were at Purdue during that era. Um, mm. But it, the majority of the book dived into Dorothy C. Stratton's life. And um, that's where I learned a lot about the spars. That's where it told a lot of detailed information on what they wore, um, the different types of training that they had, what they needed to learn, which different camps they sent the women to. And I prefer to do my research by reading a book about it anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And then what I couldn't find in the book, I either tried to find online or just decided to fictionalize that part. And I did tell in the author's note in the back of the book what was from my own imagination and what was truth. Right. Great. So then once you've done your research, do you do most of your research up front and then move into writing the story or how does that work for you? I do try to do most of the research up front. Um, I also try to plot chapter detailed uh, chapter by chapter before I start to. I have mm. very limited writing time. I work a job during the day. And so one, if I have all that done up front, then I'm able to sit down and write the actual book much, much faster. Right, of course. So you, what what is your day job? Are you willing to share? Yeah, I'm an elementary librarian at our local public elementary school. Oh, great. Um, so have you always loved to write? Tell us how you got started. I have. Um, as a kid, I was always writing little stories here and there. And then when I was around the age of 16, I saw a commercial on television for the Institute of Children's Literature. Mm -hmm. And it talked about if you think you um, are interested in writing to call in and they would send an aptitude test for you to fill out. And so I did that and they accepted me, which they said they normally don't accept people under the age of 18 but they decided to make an exception and they wow. had me go through a two year course by correspondence while I was finishing out my junior and senior year of high school. So oh that goodness. was before everything was sent through email too. So we did all of the assignments and passing everything back and forth through the mail. Wow. That's cool. So that's how I got started. And I knew I had always wanted to write a book. Um, I told my instructor up front, I said, I know this is geared more towards children's writing, but I said, my desire is to write adult novels. And he said, well, we can try to gear the assignments more toward that. So they worked with me on kind of teaching me the basics of things. And then uh, not long after high school, I got married and not long after that started a family. So I'd actually put mm -hmm. the writing dream away for about 10 years. And wow. then um, a couple weeks after my third son was born. Um, I found out that I was losing my position. I worked for the United States Postal Service at the time. 
and oh. uh, that was during the recession and they were making cutbacks and things. And, um, I hadn't worked as long as, as some of the other clerks there. So, um, I decided to become a stay at home mom. And that's when I pulled the writing dream back out and pursued publishing. And, uh, not long after my first novella was published. Oh, great. And how did that come about? Was that through the same agent you have now and through Barber or was it a different um, avenue? At the time, I didn't have an agent. Uh, I was a member of ACFW, American Christian Fiction Writers. And um, I was part of their email loop um, where you could critique other people's work and they could critique yours. And Mm -hmm. I came across... um, a good friend who we've been critique partners for years. We met in that group, uh, Robin Patchen, and she enjoyed, uh-huh. had me join her critique group and we just really hit it off. There's, there's six of us and we just work so well together and we're all strong at different areas of writing. So usually mm-hmm. by the time it's gone through all of us, it's a really good, clean, solid story to turn in. Right. So, um, she had been published. She had just published a novella then with uh, Pelican Book Group. And at the time, they did not require an author to have an agent in order to submit a story. So um, I found out that they were taking Christmas stories. And I thought, well, that would be fun to do. So I wrote one and sent it in and they accepted it. And um, that was the first book that I had published. That was in 2013, I believe. And um, I've published one with either them or uh, another publisher off and on um, ever since. Oh, that's great. Wonderful. So, um, but is this your very first historical? It's not. Um, Back in, I think it was 2018, uh, another one of my critique partners, Peg Thomas, she writes historicals and she had come up with an idea to propose to Barber for the Great Lakes Lighthouse Brides collection. And it was a romance collection with seven seven different authors. And her agent, Linda Linda Glaze, um, who then later became my agent, uh, she was in charge of of sending that proposal in. And that's how Linda and I connected and she became my agent. But uh, Mm -hmm. Barbara ended up accepting that collection. And so it was fun that Peg and I got to be in a collection together. Um, yeah. as well as that was my first historical ever. <laughs> so um, that was different because so that- I'm used to writing contemporary romance. So that was that was very different to, I mean, every detail of everything has to be researched. So, um, but I love it. I, I love writing historical. Okay. So was that one a novella then? Yeah, that story was a novella. It was called Beneath a Michigan Moon. And um, it was in a collection of seven different authors. And then I have another novella called All That Glitters that's coming out in February of 2022. And Peg's in that collection also. Um, And it's the Lumberjacks and Ladies romance collection. Oh, okay. Um, And so this is really like your second, Saving Mrs. Roosevelt is your second historical, but it's your first full length historical novel, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Did you find you mentioned you found that intimidating, just all the research? Um, is that the main difference between writing contemporary and writing historical? Or how would you describe the two different genres as you see them? I would I think so. Um, with the Great Lakes Lighthouse Bride story, everything even down to like, 
whether or not they would have a bicycle during that time had to be researched. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things that we take for granted now, I mean, you look back at the bicycle and you think, oh, yeah, they'd have had that back then. Well, when I got to, to researching it, they really only had those around the Detroit, Michigan area at that time. So wow. I had to come up with a way where she would have gotten a hold of one of these because they weren't prevalent everywhere yet. So, yeah, I would say the research aspect of it, things that we just assume have been around for years and years may maybe not have been, um, or they would have looked completely different or been used completely different. So, um, yeah, I would say that that's definitely the biggest difference. But I, I yeah. think I enjoy writing historical even more so than contemporary. Oh, but you've, you've done so much contemporary, though. I have. Um, yeah. So do you think you'll continue writing historical? I would love to. I would love to. I, w- I would really like to do a good mix of both genres. Um, but I really enjoy historical. It is a lot of more research. Yes. And it is sometimes harder to come up with a plot that works for that time period. But I, I love it. I, I've always loved anything historical anyway. I read more historical than any other genre. And so I've, I found that I really enjoy writing it as well. Yeah, great. Um, so what are you working on now? Can you tell us about it? Yeah. Um, so I had written the first draft of a contemporary romance novel that uh, was centered around the lobster industry. And then when the opportunity for Saving Mrs. Roosevelt came up, I actually put that back in my computer and haven't touched it in the last year and a half. So I'm actually, I've pulled that back out to try to polish it up and get it ready to, to send off. So, so it'll be another novel about the lobster industry. Maybe you should try to try to connect the characters somehow. It's, it's her great granddaughter or something. Actually, that's funny. You mentioned that I have done that. (laughs) I've done that in the novel. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's Um, great. So yeah, I, I would love, um, to see that, to see that one be published too, and make some kind of a connection between the two. Um, I don't want to give too much away on that one since it's not contracted yet, but it is, right. uh, there is, there is a connection between the two or there could be if um, mm. it's published by Barbara and we're allowed to use some of the same characters. Oh, that'd be so fun. Um, so this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Well, I think history is extremely important. I think we need to know about our ancestors. We need to know what events led up to today so that we can not only learn from mistakes in the past and make better choices for the future, but so we can also preserve the good things that have come about. And I I love writing and reading historical novels because I feel like it gives me a connection to the past and allows mm-hmm. me to walk in their shoes and I find that I learn things about myself as I do so. Yeah. So can you give us an example? What's something you learned about yourself through a historical novel? Definitely. Um, With Saving Mrs. Roosevelt, I was really surprised with how many events that went on during that time period are kind of mirroring some of the things that are going on today. Mm. And it allowed me to put myself in their shoes as I was writing it, but it, it made me question a lot of things like, you know, if this were to happen today, what would I do? What choice would mm. I make? Um, I just, if anything, it just reinforced 
that I'm a patriot and I love my uh-huh. country and we do need to stand up and fight for what we believe in. Right. That's great. Yeah, I think there's so much we can learn from history um, that affects our lives today or affects how we approach things today, mm-hmm. if we really understand as best we can what happened in history. Well, I'm putting myself in their shoes, too. I just think I could never be that brave. I mean, look at what some of these people did. Like, yeah, I just, you know, sometimes I feel like we think our lives are tough and they are sometimes, but then when right. you get to reading some of the things that these people went through, I think, well, that's nothing compared to that. <laughs> so they just, I mean, really strong, brave people. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Especially yeah, in World War II, I feel like you see that so much. And part of it is some someone else I interviewed mentioned this, that like they didn't have the perspective that we do looking back at it. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like, the end of the world for a lot of them. So it was kind of like, what do you have to lose by putting your life on the line? Mm -hmm. It was definitely worth it. Um, And that's, I don't know, but they're so commendable for all the bravery. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm I'm reading a devotion right now um, that used Corey Ten Boom's uh, journals, uh, journal Mm -hmm. entries. And, and I just, I read of all the things that she went through during that time period. And I'm just, it just really makes me question myself and it makes me, it makes me want to be a better person just reading what she went through and seeing, um, you know, what's going on now. And it just, I don't know. It just, I I don't think I could ever be that strong of a woman. I hope I I would be if push came to shove, but she was, she was an amazing lady. Yeah. I think sometimes we don't know how strong we can be until the situation arises. So it's easy to think that we're not very brave (laughs) in our, in our little life that doesn't seem very important, but Mm -hmm. um, we never know what kind of, you know, given God would help us, to do what we need to do in in those situations. Yeah. Well, Candace, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? The best way to keep up with me um, is my website, CandaceSuePatterson.com. From there, you can sign up for my quarterly newsletter and hear all of my latest news. Um, As for Mm -hmm. social media, I'm mostly active on Facebook at CandaceSuePatterson-author. And I can also be found on Instagram and Pinterest where I have boards of all my books. Uh, On Thursday mornings, I post short videos on a series called Coffee with Candace, where I answer readers' questions and give readers tidbits about myself or the writing journey. Um, And those are the best places to find me at. Okay. The Coffee with Candace, is that um, on social media? Or yeah, that's Facebook okay. and Instagram. I post that to both okay, sites both. Uh, on Thursday okay. mornings. Yeah. Okay, great. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today, Candice. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed talking with you. Well, my friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Candice. I certainly did. It was a joy to have her on the show. And since I gave you a whole bunch of information up front with ways you can help historical fiction unpacked, all I need to leave you with now 
is the easiest way to find the show notes, which obviously the easiest way is probably in your podcatcher. But if you're not using an app to listen to the show, then go to alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. So my friends, go to the show notes for information about Candice and links to her books and other things we discussed. And I will leave you as usual with a quote. This is from R.G. Collingwood, who said, History is for human self-knowledge. The only clue to what man can do is what man has done. The value of history, then, is that it teaches us what man has done, and thus what man is. So, my friends, keep reading historical fiction, and I will talk to you again next week. 